Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action blo- auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
is your real name? Malcolm. Malcolm X. Uh, is that your legal name? As far as I'm concerned, it's my legal name. Have you been to court to establish the I don't. I, I didn't have to go to court to be called Murphy or Jones or Smith. Excuse me for answering you this way. That's if all right. If a Chinese person were to say his name was Patrick Murphy, uh, you would look at him like he's insane because uh, Murphy is an Irish name, uh, a European name, or the name that uh, has a Caucasian or, or a white background. And a yellow person, Chinese is a yellow man, and uh, he has nothing to do or no connection whatsoever with the name Murphy. And if it doesn't look proper for a person who is yellow or Chinese to be walking around named Murphy or Jones or Johnson or Bunch or Powell, uh, I think it would be just as improper for a black person or the so-called Negro in this country, as we're taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, to walk around with these names. And therefore, he teaches us that during slavery, the same slave master who owned us uh, put his last name on us to denote that we were his property. So that when you see a Negro today who's named Johnson, if you go back in his history, you'll find that he was once his grandfather or one of his forefathers was owned by a white man who was named Johnson. His name is Bunch. His, his grandfather was owned by a I white man point. that was uh, named Bunch. Would you mind telling me what your father's last name was? My father didn't know his last name. We have been constantly uh, going in circles, repeating the same errors, which seem to distinguish us somewhat from other people. Now, I think we need to look at what I'm saying here very carefully because in the study of history, for example, when we get through with the question of what happened, where it happened, when it happened, we are then confronted with the even more important question of how and why. This takes us beyond uh, mere historical data of recording the incident of history into a field of analysis which involves other disciplines such as social psychology, such as sociology, and particularly uh, that part of uh, sociology which uh, deals with uh, uh, the study of people in their uh, psychological relations with one another. And then uh, psychology itself, and there are other disciplines which we have to call in to interpret what happened to us. Very simply then, I think, in order to get a good picture, because the question raised is uh, probably one of the most, uh, one of the most uh, crucial confronting our people today, 
but we need to see it in its developmental processes. We need to see, first of all, is that what happened to us as a people differed only in one fundamental particular from what happened to other minority groups which come under the domination of a ruling majority. This very simply is what we call acculturation. To become an American did not mean becoming anti-themselves. One, an Irishman can become an American and still be loyally devoted to his mother country. So can the Pole. So can the Greek. So can any other ethnic group you might name. Except the American black. They were cut off completely from their heritage. They had nothing to rely upon, no frame of reference, except that of the white world. Their aspirations then had to be that of the white world. So that from neighborhood on, they were learning the ways, the ideas, the aspirations, the outlook of the white man. Why do you think that a handful of us that love this family history and everybody else say, you know, that stuff is not important, you know, move on. Why are you researching all that old stuff? You ever get that to happen to you? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> So people think you're crazy. Oh yes, oh yes. However, I I I have also had opportunity to convince people of the value of what I'm doing, and I mean it starts at home, and it starts with the family, sharing with the family what I've uncovered, and and it's it's wonderful to see the transformation when family members will then say, look at what we have, I look at and I'm, and I look we, <laughs> but that's okay. Because they now understand the value. But more importantly, my mother understood the value. And she got on the phone and she would call people and say, give her this picture. She's trying oh to find God. information. Tell her about this person. And so I think what we could do is go to the oldest person in our family. They will understand. It's the young people that we have to educate. The older ones, I really feel they understand the value of it because they know they're getting ready to move on. And they want to pass that legacy and that information down to someone that would value that. That's right. I think That's every right. family has a genealogist. Do you think oh, family yes. historians? You have somebody. I mean, the family reunions, you're going to have somebody in a corner telling you about what happened when.
Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we're so pleased to have you. If you are listening on your smart device, you can join us in our chatters in our chat room, which is open for discussion during this broadcast at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. This evening, we are so pleased to be visiting with Antoinette Harrell. She is a genealogist and the host of Nurturing Our Roots TV and radio. She's a family historian, and her live talk show on Blog Talk Radio and on TV, we will learn more about. She's the author of two children's books, mother of two sons and four grandchildren, and she is a native of Louisiana and a film and documentary producer. Her work has been featured on major television and radio shows. In our clip tonight, you heard from Malcolm X in talking about his roots. And you also heard from Dr. Chancellor Williams. Uh, He is the author of The Destruction of Black Civilization, Great Issues of a Race from 4500 B.C. to 2000 A.D. The book serves as a reinterpretation of the history of the African race and is intended to be a, as Dr. Williams wrote, a general rebellion against the subtle message from even the most liberal white authors and their Negro disciplines. Uh, You belong to a race of nobodies. You have no worthwhile history to point to with pride. And this book, which I recommend highly if you have any inkling whatsoever of studying African-American history and African uh, history, it was written at a time when many black students, educators and scholars, were starting to piece together the connection between the way their history was taught and the way they were perceived by others and by themselves. They began to question assumptions made about their history and took it upon themselves to create a new body of historical research. And this book, Destruction of Black Civilization, is premised on the question, if the blacks were among the very first builders of civilization and their land the birthplace of civilization, what has happened to them that has left them since then at the bottom of world society precisely what happened? Well, you know, the the European, uh, Caucasian answer is simple and well-known that the blacks have always been at the bottom. Instead, Chancellor Williams contends that many elements, nature, imperialism, and stolen legacies, have aided in the destruction of the black civilization. And this book is a revelation, and it is revolutionary because it offers a new approach at the time 
to the research, teaching, and study of African history by shifting the main focus from the history of Arabs and Europeans in Africa to the Africans themselves. And I emphasize how revolutionary that approach is, offering instead a history of blacks that is a history of blacks. Because only from history can we learn what our strengths are, and especially in what particular aspect we are weak and vulnerable. And our history can then become at once the foundation and guiding light for a united effort, seriously planning, strategically planning what we should be about. And our guest tonight, Antoinette Harrell, is going to help us take a look at that very question. Before we bring her on, I want to um, make some programming notes. The Alpha Show, Soul of Fire, will not be live on this coming week because of the national holiday. And on December 21st, Our Common Ground will be doing its annual Kwanzaa teach-in, and we hope that you will join us uh, on December 10th, uh, 21st, uh, where we'll be asking our listeners to call in and talk about uh, their understanding, their application, the elements of the Nguza Saba or the seven principles, and we hope that you will join us there. do want to make a note that the nation... Uh, stop this week to mark the 50th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Um, and uh, it was really interesting, all of the questions and all of the things that came up uh, during the notation uh, in our television machines and and on radio and discourse across the nation about his assassination, about his presidency, uh, and we hope that um, there has never been any more uh, area of history to underline about exactly how our government covers up events. And I hope that you were thinking through as you listen to so much of the propaganda that was contained in both the investigation and the conclusory uh, investigative report by the Warren Commission about uh, this particular uh, event. And so um, I've always contended that John F. Kennedy was the hesitant president um, and that Lyndon Baines Johnson had the daunting task of trying to clean up that hesitancy. I don't know how you feel about that. We can talk about that a bit while we're waiting for, for our guests, and I think that we probably have a time issue here uh, I talked with her earlier in the day, and I think that we may have a, a time zone problem, but we'll persevere. 
uh, because I really do want to talk to her about history and family matters, genealogy, and what we do in seeking um, ourselves. Because I really do believe that in nurturing our roots or in seeking who we are, we are that is an effort to figure out how we heal and satisfy ourselves. And so while we're waiting for our guests, uh, I'll take your calls at 347-838-9852 on your thoughts about what Chancellor Williams had to say or Malcolm X in our introductory uh, clip for tonight. Uh, it's it's really interesting going back to this Kennedy thing, the Kennedy assassination, how many um, themes came into how America saw um, this assassination. You know, at one point it was the mob and organized crime, and at another point it was around his civil rights agenda, which in my opinion, he really didn't have one. Uh, the other is around international affairs having to do with Cuba. And that ties into the whole notion of organized crime because I don't know if many of you remember, I do remember, my father is a native-born Cuban, and I remember as a child traveling to Cuba and I remember that one of the reasons that we travel to Cuba so often, it's like people go to Las Vegas. Instead, we went to Havana. Uh, so um, it's a really interesting thing. And then there was the idea that it was in retribution of what his brother, Bobby Kennedy, uh, was doing as the attorney general, a very uh, progressive aggressive kind of approach uh, to organized crime, uh, and Bobby Kennedy made it no secret about how he felt about some of that. So it, it all had an edginess, and then there was the Soviet Union, and then there was the, um, the space program, and there are just all kinds of notions that float around around who was responsible for the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy. But on this anniversary, it is clear that 77% believe that however the government responded and whatever the government reported, that... Uh, people in America, American citizens, don't believe it. So it's uh, really interesting to look at that. The other thing that's on my mind, I don't know about what's on your mind tonight, and you can call me at 347-838-9852 to let me know um, about something that significant has come across uh, for you is this whole notion of what's coming up next week, and that is the National Thanksgiving holiday. Many of you um, have said, I mean, you know, you're, you're getting ready to entertain and to feed family, and I know that 
people in this audience are particularly looking at and have an ambiguity around this particular holiday. Um, And if you have any ideas about uh, what we ought to be thinking about, in, in my mind, this is a national day, should be a national day of mourning, because it marks the beginning of the genocide of the original peoples of America. And I think that we don't think about it in terms of, well, the Europeans uh, knocked off a couple of tribes up in New England and, and forged ahead toward the West. But it really is more than that, and we can see it in our life today. And that is that people were not only murdered, and put in enslavement, but they were forced off of their land onto land that they where they could not survive. I mean, if you think about where reservations are in this country today, if you think about it, there are places where people cannot, one, get jobs, two, farm, Three, import the resources you need for healthy communities. So some of us go about our business and say, hey, listen, Thanksgiving, I don't think about it like the rest of the country. Well, in my mind, I'm saying, damn, do you know how much money people spend on turkeys and hams and food and flowers and travel and 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 you know and everybody says oh it's just a a day where family gets together annually and 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 you have to pause and say yeah that's a a good explanation of what's going on here but that's not what thanksgiving is all about. And then there's the argument where people come along and they say, well, it's a day of thank- giving thanks for everything and all the blessings and and uh, for uh, the good it, that's going on in our lives and sharing that with family. But it's on a day that is designated, designated as a national holiday to celebrate Europeans coming to this country. There's no getting away from that. There is just no getting away from that. We can say, well, we're not celebrating that. We're celebrating something else. But is that really true? We still get involved in the signatory Turkey Let's talk about the signatory turkey. Do you know how many turkeys die for um, for this holiday? Do you know how much large companies and food manufacturers make for this holiday? So, I mean, if three-quarters of the people are saying, well, this is just a day of giving thanks, Uh, it is more spiritual, it is more religious. There is nothing religious about Thanksgiving. Hello. 
really? There is nothing religious. It is a designated day by the United States of America legislation which celebrates Europeans hitting the shore and claiming it as their own and committing genocide against the people that they found here. Anybody want to argue the point with me? Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. I'm I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to 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 talk to you about the issue. The other thing that about Thanksgiving is that it's the cost, and we validate another form of both racism, genocide, and white supremacy. And I know that there, you, uh, there are those of you out there saying, now why would Janice be sitting on the, on the microphone putting down Thanksgiving? I'm just trying to, I'm not putting it down. You, you could do whatever you want to do. Of course you can. But I think that we need to think about how we follow along, go along, to get along. We rationalize these things in a way which validates them. 347-838-9852. And thank you for joining us tonight here at Our Common Ground. We're waiting for our guest, and while we do, I'm uh, bringing up some things that I, I, I think um, sometimes I don't have enough time uh, on this broadcast because we spend so much time, as much time as we can, because we have very valuable guests. So um, I'm thinking about these things. And, and another thing is um, don't forget, and this is a housekeeping uh, note, that during this month of November we featured a recommended book for readers. And that next Saturday, which will be the 30th of November, we have scheduled a segment to focus on getting your impressions and thoughts from our listeners and listener readers. And the book for November is Faces at the Bottom of the Well, and the author is Professor Derek Bell the noted civil rights activist using allegory and his historical examples to present a radical vision of the persistence of racism in America. And in this collection of essays, he sheds light on some of the most perplexing and vexing issues of our times. Affirmative action, the disparity between civil rights law and reality, the racist out... You know, it's really interesting that how we keep going. Derek Bell has wrote this book uh, in 1986. And he's talking about the same thing. And, he, and when he wrote this book, he was looking at the same issues 
that we are currently looking at, the issues of affirmative action, um, the distance between what is enforced from civil rights law and what the reality is in both what happens in our communities and what happens in our courts. The racist outbursts of black people, you know, we, we, we go through this stuff where we get mad. And, you know, we were mad about Troy Davis, then we were mad about um, what happened at Fruitvale Station and then Oscar Grant. And then we were mad about Trayvon Martin. And then we got mad about Marissa um, Alexander. And then we got mad because George Zimmerman attempted or was was caught beating up his, his wife and then beating up his girlfriend and, and he didn't stay in jail and he got bail. Um, and I call those racial outbursts. And so Bell in this book talks about our racial outbur- uh, outbursts. The book is Faces at the Bottom of the Well, the Permanence of Racism, and we are going to talk about the book next Saturday night, even though we are going to have a guest, but we're going to be talking about uh, Derek Bell and his book. Uh, there, for most of you, for those of you who are, didn't join us in our discussion about Derek Bell, um. He was a professor of law at the Harvard Law School and staged a five-day sit-in in his office to protest the laws, the law school's failure to grant tenure to two female professors of color. And he had student support, and our president, Barack Obama, was one of those students. He launched a protest movement at Harvard Law School that received national attention. Um, So um, we'll talk more and give you more information about him. Um, He came to Harvard Law School um, very early in my own. uh, I was a very young student and became the first black tenured professor on the faculty of the Harvard Law School. The book is Faces at the Bottom of the Well, and it is the Our Common Ground Book of the Month, Faces at the Bottom of the Well by Professor Derek Bell. Um, In December, and you might as well get it out now, and I want to know how many of you had started reading Faces at the Bottom of the Well, but in December it will be Destruction of Black Civilization, Great Issues of a Race from 4500 B.C. to 2000 A.D. by Chancellor Williams, and we just talked about that. Our number is 347-838-9852. We're going to be joined by Antoinette Harrell uh, shortly to talk about nurturing our roots, genealogy, media that's family focused, and the idea of knowing who we are through our history. 
You're listening to Our Common Ground, and um, we thank you so much for being with us. Let's see. I'm going to peek in the chat room. I don't, I don't have a lot of time um, um, here. I see uh, HML is down in sunny and warm West Palm Beach. Peace to you. I ain't mad at you. <laughs> that's that's Alpho's thing. We've got Pat Jefferson and India Declare of the I Declare Show. Uh, HML, house music lover, who is actually from Chicago by way of West Palm Beach, by way of Chicago, and now he's in West Palm Beach. Um, uh <laughs> And he's reporting in, and of course, we thank our guests for being with us. If you'd like to join us uh, in this conversation as we await our guest, the other thing is uh, that I wanted to come talk about. Let me ask you a question: Do you come from the future, or do you come from the past? You know, when you come from the past, you make history. When you come when you come from the future, you change history. Are you a person who comes from the future or do you come from the past? Uh another media note that I do want to make is and I don't often do this, but uh I'm on a Maya Angelou kick. Um Lately, don't ask me why, but um, Maya Angelou is going to be on the George Stephanopoulos show on ABC tomorrow morning, and she's going to be talking about forgiveness. That's something very, very important to talk about that we have to begin not to forgive transgressions that are dutifully attended to by accountability, but we have to begin to learn to forgive ourselves this is not forgiveness from someone it i am talking about forgiveness to yourself because i think that we get hung up so much about uh not empowering um ourselves to the point that we're always beating each other up. We're always beating self self uh, degradation. Oh, I didn't get that job, or I didn't get that job, or I um, I, I, I I fail my children, I fail my husband, I fail my wife. Um, you know, I'm I'm not the best that I can be. Well, it seems to me that you can't be the best that you can be 
until you recognize that you can be the best that you can be. And that comes with the idea of coming to terms with your achievement, your successes and your failures. Our number is 347-838-9852, and I've been chatting away. We're going to... We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk some more about all of that. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Our Common Ground. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, why is America Not the greatest the great country in the world, Professor. That's my answer. You're saying... Yes. Let's talk about... Fine. Let's Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it any time he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed, we cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. <laughs> we were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered, First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. 
America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Enough? This is the Alpha Show, the best of political pushback on TrueWorks Network, each Friday, 10 p.m. Drilling down, just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of Pushback Talk Radio. The Alpha Show, only at TruthWorks Network. Fridays, 10 p.m. To the right. And um, the, the right-wing extremists have now become mainstream and in many ways provide the litmus test for what some think are cultural and moral integrity in the country at this time. Uh, the whole country has drifted to the right. Uh, if you don't believe it, um, anybody who actually thinks or calls uh, a President Barack Obama uh, a liberal is insane. Barack Obama is a moderate, uh, a center-right, uh, right-wing Democrat. Um, when you look at his approach, most powerful force on the earth, a soul of fire. The soul of fire, 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 fire. Spirit, 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 tonight at Our Common Ground. Right now we are talking about this whole notion of Thanksgiving. Uh, This week we had the marking of the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, You know, for for black people, I was was in the eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, uh, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and I w- attended a segregated school. And um, when the news came over the um, PA system in all of the classrooms that afternoon, uh, because I was in the eighth grade. Um, I wasn't sure exactly how I should react. Um, And I noticed that as they announced that school was going to be ended early, that there were teachers and administrators in the school who were in the hallway crying 
that there were older students crying. And um, I remember not looking for my normal little posse of kids that I walked home from school with because, you know, they didn't have, if, if, if you want to understand, the inequities. Uh, when I walked to school in the morning, four or five school buses, bright, shiny little, you know, school buses where the, the horn on the bus goes beep, 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 uh, passed by me filled with white students. As I was walking down the street on my way to the black school, white students were being bused to the, they had to pass through the black community to go to school. Well, anyway, I digress. And so what we, <clears throat> I remember walking home that afternoon, um, trying to sort out what this all meant. And the import of it came to me in watching these adults and these older students crying. The other part of it was, it was as though, you know, when you're a kid, it, it was as though you knew something had happened, but you weren't quite sure. You just weren't quite sure what the heck and when I got home, my parents and I had a whole bunch of aunts and uncles, my parents and my mother's sisters and all her, their husbands and everybody was gathered at my house around the TV, and they were absolutely weeping. And it caused me to take pause about the reports. And I will tell you that black people were around their television sets or going to a neighbor who had a television set and watching in deep sorrow as one more torch, as they saw it, as they interpreted, of hope for equality. Because black people had visions of what equality what freedom and what justice meant. Remember last week we were talking to to Dr. Raymond Wimbush about this whole notion of we do not have a defined vision of what equality and justice and freedom means to us, but our parents and our grandparents did. Black America by this assassination, was shaken to its core. And it's really interesting that it, it has not been, it, it has only been over the last 20 years that we have ever given Lyndon Baines Johnson any credit for standing up and doing the right thing. Because you've got to understand Lyndon Baines Johnson, you put him in the, in the context of Rick Perry. He was from, he was, excuse my, as they say, as, as Rachel Gentile will say, he was a cracker from Texas. 
Our guest has arrived, and we're so glad to have her, and I'm going to introduce her one more time. She is Annette Harrell, Antoinette Harrell, uh, and we thank her so very much. <clears throat> She's a genealogist, a family historian, and a radio and television talk show host of the live talk show Where Family Matters, Nurturing Our Roots, the author of two children's books, the mother of two sons and four grandchildren and a native of Louisiana. She is also a film and documentary producer, and we're so pleased to have her with us. Antoinette, thank you so very much for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. Thank you, BJ. Um, and let me do apologize for being late. There was a medical emergency in the family that I had to see about. Uh, oh, I'm once so again, sorry, thank you. and I hope things are well. Yeah. Are, is it, are yeah. you okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's okay, good. it's okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, we're just so, so happy to, to have you, and I was just chatting away about history. You know, my daughter, um, who will be next year 40 years old, is starting to tell me, Mom, you're always, you're starting to get so that you're talking about the good old days all the time. <laughs> 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 and I told her, I said, well, you should listen to the show this week because we're going to be talking about nurturing our roots. Antoinette, tell us, um, before we talk about the radio and TV show, I want to talk about your um, your efforts as a genealogist and what that means and why it is important. It's important to me because it is the essence of who I am and everything I hope to be. And because family is so important to me, family is the foundation of our society. And because my family, like so many uh, African families in America these days, we uh, were sold into this country as slaves. And so families was torn apart, mothers were separated from their children, husbands had no idea with their wives, if there, there wasn't such thing as a wife, or it, and it just totally destroyed our families. And so we're trying to put the pieces together, collect ourselves, our family, our history, through the, the research of genealogy. Mm-hmm. And you know, earlier... Learn, we were talking about how researching our past gives us the foundation for honoring those who came before us. Exactly. You know, most most people say, "Well, you know, we you know at Kwanzaa time they say, well, we honor the we we name our ancestors.' But if you don't know who your ancestors are," You simply cannot name them. And, and BJ, a lot of people really do not want, do not care. Uh, most people, most black folks can tell you more about the life and the family of Beyonce and other people, football players, but could not tell you who their direct great-grandfather on the maternal or paternal side of the family. And that is really sad. It is really sad. And we stand on their shoulders. Most of us live on the land that some of our ancestors have purchased. Our ancestors have left strong legacies, and we have 
walked away to buy into something else. And so we don't pay homage to those that came before us, so we certainly can't expect too much from our children. We don't even care about those that came before us and doing the cotton fields, the sugarcane plantations, the tobacco uh, plantations, and all the horrible things that could have went with slavery. And mm-hmm. it's as if it doesn't even matter to us. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, it, it's really interesting um, that you say that, and most people will not disagree with you. But at the same time, they don't won't do the work. What started you on your journey to become a genealogist? It was my mother. Uh, BJ, no matter when I talk, called to talk to my mother just to say hello to mom, she always found a way, BJ, to take us back, take me back in a period in a time uh, from the time that she was a little girl growing up with her grandmother, her grandparents. And when I tell you, it did not matter how often I called her, it would be the same thing. And it was like a light went off in my head one day saying, you better start recording what your mother is telling you because if something happened to your mom, it's too late at the coffin to get those stories, to collect an oral history. And I started recording what my mother was saying. She was giving me names, events, dates, and places. And so I took it to the courthouse. I took it to records to look at, look for some of the information that my mother had given me about other people. And I found it, and I was hooked on it, and about Maybe seven years into my research, my mother had an aneurysm. And, B.J., my mother haven't talked about that family history from that day to this day. Wow. You know, it's interesting that you say that because my mother was was a history major. She uh, got a degree in history uh, from uh, Wilberforce College University. Um, and she studied with W.E.B. Du Bois. Ooh, mm-hmm. And she understood the importance of history, so she was a historian in our family. And any time that you needed information, I, I remember um, uh, when I was little, it used to kind of like irritate me because every time she, every time you did something or said something mm-hmm. or had a uh, homework assignment or something at school, it was all about what Papa said, what Papa told her, what her mother told her, what her grandmother told her. Um, and um, in in the 19... I guess it was uh, late 1960s, she started doing some research and found a whole branch of relatives that they knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. But it was based on information that she already had, but she had to do the research, and it ended up that representative, U.S. Representative uh, Alcee Hastings was not only a cousin but a first cousin, you know. So you do, and she just really enjoyed that work of getting on the phone and calling these people and discovering them and inviting them and having them. Yeah. <laughs> I 
understand exactly what you're saying because I grew up as a little girl uh, when my mother indicated that her father came from South Carolina and he came by boat from South Carolina to South Florida. All I could think about was that, uh, how, how could that be? But now, as I've gotten older and more mature intellectually, I understand exactly how that was and why that was. And that was that blacks didn't travel freely on highways and roads. They came through swamplands and on the mm-hmm. border of mm-hmm. the ocean. Uh, so as so as not to be detected when they when they travel long distances uh, in that part of the country. So once you started doing all this research, how did it transpose the way in which you looked at your life? It it had a very positive effect on my life. Matter of fact. Uh, just knowing my family history, and I felt that I was empowered because I knew something about those that uh, came along in 1790. I knew something about their life. I cared enough to go back and research all that I could about them and to learn from them and to research the legacies and research the triumphs and what they had to go through so that I can better educate those that uh, want to know my grandchildren, my children, my nieces and my nephews. It restored me a great deal. It helped me to understand myself. And researching the female ancestors was very important to me because, you know, we all have the DNA imprints of some female in the family. And we often hear people say, oh, you look just like this person. You look just like her. You move around just like her. Well, I want to know more about that person. I want to know who was this female because I believe that I am my ancestors and my ancestors are me. And I believe that we are all one. And for those that is yet to come, you know, people tell me all the time that my granddaughter looks just like me and she does the things, a lot of things that I would do. Well, that's almost like reincarnating myself into this little girl in the ways that and by teaching her about the females in her family, her great-great-grandmother, her grandmother, you know, so that to know that we come from strong women. What was our weakness? What was our strength? So it taught me a lot about me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was my rite of passage. Okay. So essentially how difficult was it for you to trace your roots uh, I mean, in the South, uh, even in my lifetime, there were places where birth certificates, for instance, I have a birth certificate, and the birth, birth certificate was issued almost three months after I was born mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, was, I was born by way of the circuit doctor. So I, there was no hospital. There were no hospital administrators. Mm-hmm. The paperwork, uh, this was a a doctor who serviced the, I I was born on a migrant farm, Um, and so in in those days, they had one doctor, the farm um, Mm -hmm. company, farming company where the migrants worked, 
had one doctor, and the doctor just went around and delivered babies and gave people poison to fix their flu and whatever. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how difficult was it was <laughs> for you? <laughs> I even know the well, man's you know. name. Um, Good for uh, you. He was giving out poison. I like that. <laughs> and, um, and, and BJ, here we had all these natural herbalists and and midwives who also was herbalists uh, that gave us medicine. So it wasn't very difficult because my mother knew so much, and uh-uh. because my family left uh, family members left a good paper trail in marriage records. Um, land deeds, and of course the midwives delivered a lot of babies. But it was very easy because I got to a lot of people who played a major role in knowing my family history, such as great aunts and uncles. Well, Mm -hmm. I got to them and recorded them before they died. So Mm -hmm. it really wasn't hard, but of course tracing a female is always hard because Unlike today's females, they were married. They would say, well, Antoinette Harrell, Hyphen Baker, or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Well, back in those times, women did not use their maiden name, and it wasn't recorded on the census. It wasn't recorded, in the, you, you know, unless it was the marriage mm-hmm. records in uh, uh, the courthouse. But it was very easy because there was headstones on the cemetery in, in the gra- on the graves, uh, the marriage license, the deeds, and the family stayed in one place. So that really made it very easy for me, unlike yeah. some families now, that may not be the case. Uh-huh. And you know, down and down south, and and you grew up in Louisiana, and you 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 you've done a lot of genealogy work in the Mississippi Delta, and people have to recognize, you know, people up here on the northern plantation—that's what I call it—they um, don't recognize that the, even the cemeteries were segregated. Yes. So, um, and and where I grew up, um, the cemetery, the black cemetery, was maintained by people out of their pocketbooks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was no, even though the the city didn't um, own the land, they didn't take care of black cemeteries. So in the late seventies. Um, and 60s and cemeteries because our people had started using white cemeteries. The black cemeteries had to be restored when we discovered we needed to nurture our roots. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother, when I was in college, spent two or three years raising money along with she and her friends and her sisters, because she had a whole bunch of sisters, and were 14 in her, 14 kids on her side of the family, and they spent two or three years raising money to restore the black cemetery, and that was for families who had family members in that cemetery, because, I mean, my family has the mausoleum in that cemetery. Mm-hmm. But the city didn't pay for for any of that uh, um, maintenance and 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 upkeep. Um, so we have a difficult time, and these are the kinds of things that I think that your work involves is reclaiming and embracing the 
as as my dear dear wonderful sister Dr. Julia Hare always says the bridges which have brought us across safely across. Mm-hmm. I mean every well, we time want I to get those bridges, we want to blow them up, we want to tear them down, and mm-hmm. I believe that this is why we are in the conditions that we are in our communities and our lives and our families just as black folks because we we have allowed the chain to be broken of the chain of love with family you know there's a more strong ties to going to big mama's house and 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 papa's house and great aunts and great uncles and all that so we have allowed that to be replaced with material things breaking down the, the family structure and of course, when we uh, and, and genealogy can be painful. Let me say that to you. It's not always that we find things that would make us joyful and happy. And so, so sometimes people do not want to go and put their hands on the knob of the door, open the doors of no return, because you're seeking knowledge. You, you're not judging anyone. Sometimes you may find that your grandfather had two families, or two sisters could have had children for one man. It was a lot of things involved in circumstances that some of us, uh, we are too ashamed of. We don't know how to see it, know about what happened, and embrace these things. Uh, Family members that was in our solemns, male and female alike, uh, incest in the family. It was so many things that happens in families that when sometimes people see genealogists coming along, oh, here they come, what are they doing, what they're trying to do now. Uh, and so it could be something that can make people very uncomfortable, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. And, and you have to walk that, you know, walk that bridge and say, okay, I'm not here to, to tear my family down. I'm here to uplift my family. And if all of this was a part of the family uh, nucleus like it like it was. That's what it is. There's nothing we can do about those things that happened in the past. And so I found that on my journey, a lot of the people didn't want to talk to me either. Mm-hmm. In the family, they really they thought I was just shaking, you know. Because when you shake that tree, what are you shaking off that tree? Yes, I shook off photographs and and marriage license, license and land deeds and oral history. But wait a minute, now I went a little bit further. I shook some more. Mm-hmm. Now, what else fell off? Mm-hmm. I had no idea that grandfather had two families. Wow. And, and you know, it's like just people say, you know what? I remember, girl, y'all remember they came to the funeral, and they they saw that, and, you know, they looked just like him, mm-hmm. just like him. And those are the typical conversations that most of us can hear in our family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I... I... And I would imagine with a family that goes through that and shares that kind of information forms a whole new kind of bond. You know, I really admire families when something like that happens and the family says, come on, come on, you're part of this family too, as opposed to isolating. Because that is the difference between we who uh, are of a spiritual nature and those who are not. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I just I, I so 
when it comes to discovering and and when you say nurturing our roots, what embodies that? It means going back and reclaiming those very important things that grandmother used to keep the family together mm-hmm. by, for instance, Every Sunday, most people can say, especially down south in the deep south, you went by Big Mama's house. Dinner was by Big Mama's house. Every holiday was by Big Mama's house. Uh-huh. If there was a family feud, Big Mother, Big Mama knew how to how to how to how to settle that. If there was something in the community and there was an elderly lady sick, well, all the women in the community got together to take care of her. If there was a house that needed to be built, and all the men would come together and they would help Mr. Charles build his house, and then the next time it would be somebody else's time. And the women would get together, they would can the food, they would make quilts, and what have you, to get that family started up on their feet. They were given land. They were given property. And so that is looking at, in the spirit of San Kofa, reclaiming those things that kept our family together, and studying those things that drove our family apart so we could know how to begin to heal the family. I want to give you a good example here. And, and, and by not coming together to nurture those roots and to, to, to talk about family history, there was a woman in Ohio last, uh, last year. Well, she married her father and had no idea that she had married her father her own father, and he was the father of her children. And it wasn't until she took the DNA off his uh, a brush, she found a brush in the house that still had uh, a fiber of his hair in the brush, and you know what? She just had to know because she had heard somebody say that the man she was married to was indeed her father. Mm-hmm. And that aftermath of the secret was so devastating, and it was very emotionally, uh, emotional and physically on this woman. Not only that, can you imagine the children, her children, knowing that, uh, not knowing that the man that they was, uh, they called father was also their grandfather. And so we nurture our roots. We go back, and we really have to discuss things. We have to look at nurturing our roots to have strong twigs and branches. And we have to go back and reclaim family because today's children do not know. They're friends, they're family. That's who their yeah. family is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They spend more time with their, with their family, I mean with their friends, than they want to spend with their own family. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you do as a genealogist is to guide people into creating rituals that are not there. Exactly. And, and, so and that it becomes to like a, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like know, a reclamation. That's mm-hmm. right, because every third Saturday in my home, a weekend, is uh, big, big Mama's house. My sons come over. The children mm-hmm. come over, we cook, we spend time, we turn the television off, 
we talk about things, we include the children in conversations about land, and we, we take our photo albums and the quilts, and we talk about this. And sometimes we'll have a field trip where we'll take the children back to the old homestead. Whatever we do, we always talk about family. We bake cakes together. We do these type of things. We talk about family being there for each other, how to respect and love each other. There's so much that we can do to give, especially children, a sense of a strong family, whether that family is big mama, mama, daddy, you know, uh, because society should tell us it's the idea mother and father. Okay, well, that is the idea of family. Yes, it is. But what happens if the father's deceased or grandmother's deceased? Well, family is who they're sharing love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and this is why we are in so much of trouble today because our children, uh, I remember growing up in my house, uh, my father wasn't in my life, but my mother had brothers. My mother had first cousins, and all of these men became my surrogate fathers. So all the eyes of all of my mother's brothers, all six of them, and all of my mother's uh, first cousins, all 13 of them. So I would have much rather had that one father than to have all of these men looking at me saying, okay, you better stay in line. You know what I'm saying? I understand because exactly. That, that was the village. That was the village. And we have lost the concept of what the village is because we're too busy trying to live in a gated community and not really understanding what the <laughs> village is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, we, we, have, we have arrived, BJ, because, see, we live in that gated community. We have broken ties with grandmother. There's a song that Shirley Caesar used to sing, and it was an old-time old hymn, and it would say, uh, um, when the son who had became somebody uh, didn't want his mama, put him in a nursing home, mama, I'm going to come visit you, I'm going to buy you a TV. But that son with that old broken down, beat up truck, mama, I'll come and get you. You can come all in with me. I hear we you. Have to, Let me, you hear what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Let me ask you about two things that that you're 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 referencing in a way, and that is the Great Migration in our American history and what this uh what this the, the civil rights movement initiative toward integration of the society has done to the roots uh of our people. Mhm. Yes, and it has really hurt us because, you know, I'm going to go back to Big Mama again. Big Mama used to cook the best mustard greens and candy yams you wanted to taste, but we abandoned Big Mama's home cooking kitchen with that love and all the time that we could have spent with her because, see, we wanted to go to the restaurant near right next to the outhouse. Uh-huh, because for uh-huh. some reason or another, we thought those <laughs> the candy yams. Right next to the outhouse. Out <laughs> next to the outhouse because that's basically where it was. So uh-huh. we became infested with things because of integration. When we needed each other, see, family stayed together. And I can, and I can speak about the Deep South because I live in the Deep South. 
if that if grandpa had a hundred acres of land or two hundred acres of land, for example, well he gave each one of his children a plot of land. Uh-huh. So where to farm. So that's why you found aunts and cousins and everybody living around each other. So what, what Grandpa did, he built his own little town, and everybody stayed on the land. Everybody uh-huh. worked together. Everybody shared together. Nobody had to go in a nursing home because somebody was always on the land. And uh-huh. there was always somebody that seemed to be the old maid didn't get married and stay with her sister. Well, that sister who did not have children or that, that brother who didn't have children, they took all their nieces and their nephews as their children. So mama and daddy at that time had an extra set of eyes to help keep their eyes on the children. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I hear you. You know, one of the things that I think about all the time is um, I live in Boston. I have no family here. I mean, I've created family, but I have no blood family here, none. So my daughter grew up outside of the richness of what it meant to have a huge, I grew up with a huge family, it was just too many people. <laughs> God, uh-huh. can somebody go away? <laughs> can, I mean, one Two sisters will be leaving and two sisters will be coming in. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, good God. <laughs> so, I mean, we had a huge family. Um, um, my father was 26 years old when his oldest, after him, brother was born. So wow. we had all them, you know, them and them, them and them was always. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you you couldn't move without an aunt and uncle. When I mean, I had probably up until uh, I was in the ninth grade. Every year, I had an aunt or an uncle as a teacher. <laughs> That's right. I mean, so That's you right. know. Um, and, and and when we start moving away from that, I have felt the vacuum. Um, I have to, I mean, they think I'm alien and people down there. I, <laughs> and I hate that. Um, and my daughter, but what I want to go back to is that our children grow in a vacuum. You know, I have to work so hard uh, when my daughter was growing up. I mean, every summer she had to go spend two weeks with all the people down there. Uh, And I wanted her to go alone because I wanted her to find her own way in my family. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to do a lot of things to compensate for our own migration. And I I have a lot of friends here who don't have nobody. I mean, one Christmas... Um, we had a ain't got nobody Christmas gathering. Uh huh. Wow. Uh huh. Because it was all my friends, and I'm I'm talking about there must have been forty people in this house. All my friends who had no family here, but had children, and we all became yeah. family to each other. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, that's the way we and, did it. We did it like yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. But I want to tell you about something I did this summer. I took off 
three months from broadcasting and for the time that I would spend preparing for a program, um, what I did was um, I wrote out my life story for my grandchildren. And oh, that's in writing beautiful. that, I, I was able to recall a lot of the stories that I heard about this one and that one and the other one in, in our family. Um, because you don't get, we, we do some of that at Kwanzaa, but you don't get the chance to really relay uh, who you are. You know, like I was, you know, so I, I think that the work that you do is just so important. We do have to get people to begin to understand that we are all we have. I mean, they can look at what's happening in Washington. They can look at um, uh, the response to the political machines and the social service machines and the education machines and see that we don't have very much. That's right. But we have each other. And, you know, I um, spent a lot of time with my grandmother uh, before she passed away. And I was only nine years old uh, when my grandmother passed away. But the lessons that my grandmother taught me in those little short years of my life is the very lessons that I teach to my grandchildren. And so every every opportunity, first of all, I take nothing for granted, especially when it comes to my grandchildren, because I know that I lost my grandmother so early. And two years ago, I had an aneurysm, and that could have been the end of me. That basically could have ended. So so when I look at my children, I look at my grandchildren, my nieces and my nephews and my mother, nothing is more important than family. And let me say this, because at any coffin, it's too late. It's too late to say, Mama, I love you. It's too late to say, you know what, all that stuff that we was bickering about, it really wasn't worth it. You know, and there's time. And first thing that we need to realize is that family, first of all, can agree to disagree, but we shouldn't let we shouldn't let one uh, disagreement stand in between the families for two and three generations. I mean, two and three decades, because it affects everybody. And I tell family that all the time. You might think what's going on between you and your sister is only affecting you, but it's affecting your children. It's affecting those first cousins. And I tell people all the time, if you have a problem with somebody in the family, do not try to get other people involved. First of all, try and and work it out within yourselves. And if you can't, just get a mediator because to, to try to sit in because family is too valuable to lose, and that's what we're doing. This is why we are not, we don't have the wealth that we, we could have. Look at how many times our family members started those little mom and pop businesses. But, the, the, you know, the minute some of us went off to college and all these things, we didn't want to work in that business. But we see white families say, oh, this been a gen- we, we are now into our fourth generation. This business has been in our family for four generations. Well, why is that? Because, you know, we talk about the Vietnamese, the Asian community that can live in the in, in, 30 people in one house, the Mexican community. Well, what we think we did in that little two-bedroom shotgun house Grandma had. You know what I'm saying? You That's know, right. And, and, and so we, we have become so sophisticated with so many different things 
that we're really distracted from the main thing. You know what else I hate, DJ, and I have to say this. Too often when someone dies in our families, we will not even place a headstone on, the, on our family member's grave. That is a disgrace because, you know, I remember my, my grandfather, he couldn't afford all the headstones. He made them. And two summers ago, one of my colleagues, Walter C. Black, he made eight headstones, I mean really nice headstones, for people in my family just like my grandfather did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad we're you losing made some point. I'm things. really glad mm-hmm. you made that point because it marks I have been here. He has been here. He was important. But, you know, I, I want to go back to something, too, that you were talking about, Antoinette, and, and, and you are just dropping such wonderful gems of of wisdom here, things that people know but they don't know that they know, and that is how we settle disagreements and friction in our families because we have to understand, you know, we can go out and and and, and, and all the time we're, we're criticizing what happens in our children's schools, we're criticizing the teachers, but we are the master teachers in our, for our children. And when we have friction and, excuse me, Antoinette, excuse me, y'all, I have to say it, bullshit going on in our families, mm-hmm. we don't step up. And say, you know, I mean, you got to say to that sister, you broke my heart. Mm-hmm. You are my mm-hmm. sister, and I forgive you. I was talking about forgiveness before you joined us this morning, I mean, this, uh, tonight. We have got to, we, we say we want a revolution. We can't have no revolution with a bunch of people who have no courage. And if you have no courage in stepping up to your family, you don't have no courage in stepping up to Barack Obama or whoever, some other people. Uh, (laughs) I mean, one of the things that we have to do, you know, I was, I was, you have really struck some, 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 some golden threads here, and I knew you would which is why I invited you, and we're going to talk about your TV and radio show. But one of the things that I did on, I I think it was Friday, uh, I had my grandson who's 12 years old. And, and And I know that he thinks that every time he and I have alone time that, I'm lecturing or whatever I'm doing, and I try to explain to him my lectures are my love. But I was talking to him about being a man. And I said to him, never hide from the truth. Step up to the truth. That is what man, manness is. you got to take responsibility for what you did. you got to then... When taking responsibility, you gotta fix it. So you gotta fess up, and you gotta fix up, and that's what men do. And he was looking at me like I was. And I said, I don't want you. I, I told him this. I don't want you to think that I'm always lecturing you. But I want my voice in your heart and in your head, because 
there is no guarantee that I will see you graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. None of us have any guarantees. I said, right. and when I'm gone, I want to be able to talk to you every day. You will be able to sit down and hear me say, fess up and fix up. You That's mess right. up, you fess up. You mess up, you fix up. And you will be able to say to your children, my grandmother used to say, if you mess up, you fess up. If you mess up, you fix up. So I think that how we, you know, we have to have systems. And I think black people have lost their systems of dealing with family. And if we strengthen our families, yeah, if we strengthen our families, we strengthen our communities. If we strengthen our communities, we strengthen our empowerment. If we strengthen our empowerment inside, then maybe we can be empowered outside. But until we do the infrastructure work, and that's what you're talking about. I mean, I've been to Gory Island three times. The first time that I went and I stood in those doors and looked out, I could do, I was, I could barely hold myself up to stand. I had to lean. And I think that when we talk about nurturing our roots, we have to, our healing power is in knowing where we came from. And I'm not talking about you came from South Carolina to Boston last week. I'm talking about how the soil in South Carolina ever got into your toes. And that's what you're talking about. And it paid homage to those ancestors. Uh, Whenever we have a family gathering gathering at my home, we always speak, uh, one ancestor, and we talk about, and I share what I know. And when we have dinner and we sit around talking and having dinner, we always talk about something that is inclusive to an ancestor. So these children will be able to grow up in the family knowing that their great-great-uncle, I mean their great-great-grandfather, Alexander Harrell, purchased 200 acres of land in 1888. Now, basically what I did, I created a child's activities book, genealogy activity book. And in that is the word definitions, um, um, blank forms to fill in, who am I, um, my mom's side of family, my dad's side of family, so children will learn about the maiden name of their mother. Uh, They will be able to tell you about the first person who went to college or went to school in their family, you know, where did my family live? And so those are little quizzes that we all can, uh, we can create lesson plans and then give the child a quiz at the end of that lesson that you give them about your own family. That's not a lesson that they can get in school. That's something that has to come from within the home. And with doing that, the children become empowered because they know about their family history. They can mm-hmm. tell you something about that person, you know. Now, can I our listeners get this book? Is that important? Can our listeners get this book? 
Yes, yes. It's a genealogy field trip with grandmother. They can just go online uh, or follow me on Facebook, uh, Antoinette Horrell, and it's there. It's a great gift to give to a child, a gift of knowledge of themselves. Not only that, let me tell you this, BJ, and we need to be, be thinking about this. Too often we're giving away antiques in our family. We're giving away handmade quilts because we have no idea. Oh, we don't want that old thing. Let's throw it away. Well, what happens is some person, and sometimes white people more often than anyone, will buy those your family heirlooms and then throw sell them. And so we need to be very cautious with those things and have a great understanding of when we take an inventory. Inventory of the family is very important. It's mm-hmm. the past that shapes the present and the present that shapes the future. What mm-hmm. is the future with, with a weak family? Where is our future? We have no wow. future when the family is broken down. Say that again. What is the future? What is the future without a strong family? And you can ask that question. Where is my family going to be five years from now? Where is my family going to be ten years from now? And sometimes, you know, we forget this one little motto that I love. It is the past that shapes the present and the present that shapes the future. You see, because if we don't build upon the past to understand the present, we certainly don't even know where we're going with the future. And sometimes because we're so divisive and competitive in our own families, and let me give an example of that. One family who may have became very successful, okay, now they live in that gay community, their children go to this university. They don't want to come out to the family gatherings no more at Big Mama's house because they don't have, like, the 10-room uh, the, the, the house with four baths and a jacuzzi and all of that. And so we think that we have arrived and we forget about those little nurturing hands or sitting around the fireplace and just having that conversation with grandmother or grandfather. And so uh, if I had to say where are we going in the future with Sam, with us, we're in trouble. We are in trouble, people. We are in trouble because we have allowed our families to become contaminated. We are broken up in the families. Children, their kids do not even know their own uh, first cousins. And sometimes children can be sitting in the same classroom and be brothers and sisters and have no idea mm-hmm. that they are brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we get here? That's the first thing a, a family needs to ask themselves. Wait a minute. If I study... My history started from 1870, according to the United States Census. Well, that's when they started listing black folks by name in 1870. Look at your family. Study where was my family in 1870. What did they accomplish? Were they sharecroppers? Did they own a land? Did they own a business? If so, what type? If so, what happened to the land? Now, study my family in 1920. That's what we should be saying to ourselves. Are we making progress? Are we regressing? Where are we in 2013 versus what the family was in 1960? Mm-hmm. You and know, as you that talk, will tell you where you're going. As you talk, Antoinette, you, it sounds like a lot of work, but it is certainly a labor of love. And one of the things that strikes me, and I'm going to say it, and you're all going to call me up, send me email, and all that stuff. That's okay. 
we could stay out of the mall. And, and many of us are in the mall Saturday, all day Sunday after church, and stay out of some of these restaurants like Papa John's and and all those places, Red Lobster, that's that's financing our genocide by spending the time instead of a family gather instead of a family activity being going to a movie or going to the restaurant spending the time working together to build a family history if you don't have one exactly well we all right and and, and that's very important you know oftentimes i see people uh, that talk about the royal family or this family, and that's only because that family knows their lineage for five, six, seven generations or further than that. Or they have this one property that has been in the family for seven, eight generations. How many of us can say that we have something that has been in our family for four generations? Uh-huh. You know, why are we throwing away things? And, and that's what other people do not do. Just recently I decided after I had that aneurysm, um, I said, okay, Father, thank you for allowing me to come back up on this earth so there's some more work that I need to do. So, And I had a lot of family files in my house. So the greatest gift that I gave to my family was to get those files out and donate them to the Amistad University, I mean the Amistad Research Center, as well as Southeastern Louisiana University. And so that made it possible for anyone in my family to go there and look at those files. Now, just think if something would have happened to me, I would have passed away, and my two sons would not have known what to do with those documents. I mean, I I have it laid out. I have it laid out where... where, um, I donated a great deal of my family um, heirlooms, information, um, and photographs to the uh, Florida Black Historical Society Association and the Palm Beach County Black Historical Association. And every few years, I will check with them. You didn't throw my stuff out, did you? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to do that, too. But we we only have a short time, uh, a little time. How do people get to your radio and television show? Yeah, they can go to the radio, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Antoinette Harrell. And I'm on Facebook, Antoinette Africa Harrell. And okay. they will find me there. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and my passion is I, I love it. Uh, there is no money in researching your family. You cannot put a value on, you know, collecting knowledge of self. The only thing I can say is the best gift that you can give to yourself and to your family, and that means you're writing your family into history. It makes me feel so good to know. I started a blog called Preserving Our Family History, Preserving Our History in Tangemahoe and St. Helena Parishes. Well, as of now, 10,780 people have read those blogs, 
from all over the United States. And I'm talking about a little country town like Amit, Louisiana, where you wouldn't even know black folks was here outside of sports. I said, you know wow. what, this is not happening. Uh-huh, I went uh-huh. to the clouds, and I said, I'm going to make a difference. I owe it to my ancestors. I owe it to myself. I owe it to my children, my grandchildren, my family, and those yet unborn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, your um, your work with um, um, making sure that people understand that this whole notion of family matters means that it includes ancestors as well as your present family. It means your the history of your family because that is a golden thread for which you can always share. Wow. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, I tell you, and we you're should doing never some... forget our ancestors. No, and we should, and we should teach our children to appreciate what those who have come before us sacrificed to do. Which is why I was willing. I'm always willing to uh, talk about um, the transatlantic slave. Um, genocide, I'm always willing to talk about the Reconstruction period, the slavery period, um, because I think we need to understand that our history did not start at slavery. Our history was interrupted at slavery, but that does not mean that we shouldn't know what all of those things mean. Um, and 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 I just hope that our listeners tonight will begin to and I, and I wanted to do this program before uh, the Kwanzaa season because I think that we have to enrich our thinking about what it really means in, in uh, family means in every of the seven principles of the Inguza Saba. Because if we begin to live in that way, Antoinette, one of the things that I worry about, we talk a lot of nonsense in our community. We have all these We have, I mean, I know families who every year they have a family, huge family reunion. People come from all over the place and they eat and then they go home. Uh Mm-hmm. And I think we have mm-hmm. to put meaning into the things that we do. And sometimes I think, yeah, I, I think we're in, involved in emptiness. And we can fill. And what I hear you saying is we can, we can fill ourselves with ourselves. That's right. And every family reunion should have the history. And I was so happy uh, three years ago my family called on on me to participate in helping to organize a family reunion. So I said to them that I will not participate if we can't have a history there and collecting oral history and sharing photographs, not just the food or fashion show or come together and just do those trivial things. Those things are nice, and do not get me wrong, but therefore we should always set up a, a place in a family reunion time to talk to the elders, 
to collect as much information from them as we possibly can. We should always have the time that we show a film presentation or go back and show uh, if we can find the slave documents on our family. I remember the first time I found the slave document, uh, document on the inventory for Thomas Richardson and Carrie. I remember that day as plain as it was today. It was a day of freedom for them. It was a day of freedom for me. And yes. I was so happy that I was chosen to go back, go back uh-huh. and uh-huh. learn and teach and share. Now my family, they are so happy to, 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 to receive the things I have shared with them. Yes, that was an emotional day. That was supposed to be an emotional day. I'm looking at my family sold for $1,500. I'm going back and I'm thinking about what that day was like for Carrie. What was that day like for Thomas? You know, that I owe that to them because I'm a grandmother. I'm a mother. Just the idea of my my children being sold away or my granddaughter being sold away probably would cause a massive heart attack. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there had to be some, and then and then once they, once slavery was abolished, many people who have researched their family history can tell you some of them walked for miles looking for their children, and miles and miles looking for their wife, their mama, their daddy to blisters was upon their feet. Not to mention those that end up in the asylums because they couldn't stand the thought that they couldn't find their child or they couldn't find their mother, you know, it, it just is beyond what you and I can comprehend because we never thought about that. Although Alex Haley showed us it was possible to research our family history, but we never thought about the mechanical uh, components that make up that history. What was this day like on June 3rd, 1859? Yes. Yes. You see, those are, and that's what your family history would do for you. Yes. Well, Antoinette, I really wish you so much luck. Can people contact you around getting started on yes, nurturing yes, their Yes, please do. They can reach me at 504-858-4658, and the TV shows will be shown on Vimeo. Just go to Vimeo forward slash uh, nurturing our roots, and it, and and there it is. It'll come up like that. And I do want right. to apologize once again, BJ. No problem. Out of all the no times problem. I was excited it's, it's, for coming on the show, but a family member was in the emergency room, and yeah. she was talking about family, and I yeah. had to make sure that I was right there. I certainly understand, and thank you so very much for joining us tonight. And I you hope are that we'll quite have welcome. you. Uh, I hope that you'll join us for our Kwanzaa. Uh, teach-in, because I think family is at the heart of it. By all means, sister, and I have to have you on my show, and thank you and your listening audience for having me as a guest on your show tonight. Okay, thank you so very much. Thank you. God bless you. That- Bye-bye. Wow. Now, that's a family discussion, a discussion on family worth having. We'll be right back. Tuned into our common ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Grant.
giving voice to the black truth of America. Counter coming ground, broadcasting free, bold, and black. Each Saturday, 10 p.m. Premiering Monday, December 30th. Reason. Resistance. 10 p.m. Blanche. 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 Outside the Matrix. Ongoing dialogue discussions and guests to elevate you to perform at our highest and greatest potential. Blanche. Blanche. With an exclamation point. Can we talk? I mean, can we really break it down? Conversation is one of the most powerful tools we have. We do a lot of talking, but we got to transition that talk into a walk that's going to benefit us. I want to navigate this system that we live in. But in order to navigate it, we have to understand it. So join me for my new show. You're going to get a chance to learn a little bit more about me, what I'm passionate about, what I believe in. I want to help you expand your perspective on things. I want to elevate your thinking. So join me outside the matrix, reasoned resistance. Outside the matrix. Blanche. Blanche premieres on TruthWorks Network, December 30th. Join Blanche with an exclamation point. to our common ground. living in a nation faced with the possibility of war on multiple mental and physical levels. We got black wars against the police. We still got crack wars in the streets. Unemployment at its peak. Overcrowded cells in present day hell. Wars of Jews against Muslims over whether a created state is real. Wars over Western with Saddam. American politicians arguing over the difference between smart and dirty bombs instead of smart children in dirty schools. I feel like it's me against the world and I'm starting to get ill without even thinking of Kim Jong. Though North Korea does have the world turning up on its axis right now. With these signs of the time in mind, I wake up every day asking myself one question. And it takes me no less than 24 agonizing hours to answer. Am I going to die today? I said, am I going to die today? I don't even bother watching my back anymore because I might get killed from the side today. Or maybe they get me in nuclear with bombs dropping from the sky today. Or maybe some religious fanatic is gonna blow my behind up in a train station after deciding he wants to get close to the paradise today. Hell, I gotta wonder if some insane and depressed pilot whose wife just cheated on him and ran away with the kids is gonna fly today. Right into the 13th floor of my building where I just called my wife to tell her I gotta rise and pay. 
Or am I going to get hit off some DWB while driving on I-95 today? Or maybe some crooked cop's going to decide that some no-good nigga's mom's got to cry today? All this while wondering if Bush is going to play chess if I lie today? Why today? Instead of thinking about all that today, I think I'm just going to lose myself in the movement. The moment I own it, because it might be time to go. It only takes one shot for cops to release my soul. Because our community stopped by filthy 5-0. So, so I decided that I'm going to fight today. Because there's always just enough time left to be right today. See, I got kids looking up to me to take a stand against wars of Korea, Iraq, and Afghanistan today. So I got to fight for the world to be safe for we. And this is also personal because I don't want my child to see my face next to the definition of complacency. I'm going to fight this BS system with all of my might today. Because it's true that tomorrow will never die, but I might today. In a world where too many visionaries have become so hopeless that they're losing their sight today. And so many pedophiles and perverted priests out there that I got to worry about whether my sons and daughters are going to stay tight today. While Bush gives the rich tax cuts and the poor act cuts on educational spending, my students are depending on me to do what's right today. Looking down at the end of the tunnel, I woke up seeing the light today. Because get this, nations may blow up entire other nations out of fright today. And though I got my cell phone on, I may not have enough time to call my mom to say goodbye today. Y'all may say I'm paranoid today, but inhaling historical truths has got me high today. So now I'm looking for heroines and heroes to help me stop our plight today. I'm even wondering if all the secondhand smoke finally gave me cancer today. So I called 911 for emergency assistance, but Bin Laden answered today. See, I just walked around thinking something's gonna get me. And I wonder why the hell you never ponder if you're coming with me. So you just got to forgive me because I'm just recounting some of the signs of the times that we live in. Because if ignorance is bliss, I know some of y'all forgot the hell we done been in. Got me wondering if God's really gonna be forgiven for all of our sinning. Like killing each other in the name of religion. I don't know about y'all, but I'm gonna fight and never give in. So if I die before I lay my head to sleep today, I just pray to God my soul to keep today. Thank all of you for joining us, and a special thanks to our guest, Antoinette Harrell, who has brought us so many, many, many points about why it is important to fill ourselves with meaning through family and making family matter and making history matter uh, in our lives. Thank you so much for being with us. We hope that you'll we'll see you. Don't forget, on next Saturday night, we'll be talking about Faces at the Bottom of the Well, the Permanence of Racism. And um, I, lo- I will be listening for you. This is Our Common Ground. You've been listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'm Janice Graham, and join us on TruthWorks Network, Wednesdays and Fridays with Soul of Fire and The Alpha Show. You can find Our Common Ground on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Pinterest, and Twitter at Janice OCG. If it's Saturday, 
at 10 p.m. I'll be listening for you. You rush into battle. We're soldiers. We get hurt in a fight. We suck it up and we hold it down. I like it or not. So I'm not asking you for the truth. I know the truth. So what I'm asking you is, what is your endgame? We, the children of Shaka Zulu, we are gladiators. <laughs>